It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the first match preview of the 2023-24 campaign. I'm Andrew Musgrove and I'm joined by John Gibson, as always, for these shows. John, it seems like a lifetime ago since the uh, the season ended. Castle qualifying for the Champions League. We're back for the new season. Are you excited? Absolutely so. I mean, last season was superb. And this season's got to be even better because we'll be taking part in the Champions League. We've got two domestic cups with a chance of winning something for the first time since Yonks. And we've got the Premier League with all the fascination that's been. It couldn't be set up. It's an awful long time since we had a season that promised so much as this one does. Yeah, everyone's very optimistic about the new campaign. It starts on Saturday, half five against Aston Villa. And it's going to be a test because everyone is tipping Villa to do what Newcastle did last season and disrupt the old established top six. Of course, the new top six includes Newcastle because, as John says there, qualified for the Champions League. I'm all right, actually, with the attention being on Villa because it allows Newcastle to go under the radar and do what they have to do. And, 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 you know, they can prove the doubt as wrong. But what a a test. What a test to to open the season up. Villa, potentially, on paper have a very good side and have a very good season ahead of them. Yes, it's a phenomenal test. I mean, it's a fascinating game. Uh, Two of the most historic clubs in the country. If you look back, Newcastle and Aston Villa did what Arsenal and Manchester United did recently and Manchester City do now. They were two of the top clubs in the country and they've been sleep for donkey's years but there's real expectation in both camps now and I can understand that I think Villa are going to be a force Newcastle United are already a force so those top six sides that thought they were invincible and could have their own European Super League and, and shut the door on everybody else they're going to find this season, or certainly by next season, that uh, Newcastle and Villa are going to nick two of those six places in the top six. And it's who doesn't make it. Not that we give a fig about that. We're only bothered about us going in. And it's a fascinating match because it's a great matchup between two sides who, out of the blue, got European football last season. When you think of us... Champions League top four from being habitual relegation fighters. What that was fabulous in Villa being a relegation looking side like we were 
all of a sudden Emery comes in too late for them to mount the top four channels, but they make the Conference League. Against all the odds that go from relegation to Europe last season, they are replicating what Newcastle have done. And the irony of it all is they're doing it with the man that the Newcastle United regime originally wanted first. So it is set up to be the most stupendous of openers. And uh, I expect both clubs to do exceptionally well this season. Yeah, one to watch. I'm a little bit worried about Saturday, truth be told. I think Newcastle will be tested, but I'm even more worried, John, because I'm going to be there. Obviously, people are well aware that I've had uh, a little arrival to the world. Now, the in-laws are up this weekend, yes. and the father-in-law, he's a Villa fan. Now, when oh, yeah. when he first stepped, stepped across the threshold into the house once we brought a little Harriet home, yes. people buy baby grows, they buy little gifts, little cuddly toys. What did he get out of his bag? A pair of Aston Villa baby, um, what do you call them? Uh, bibs, bibs. You had bibs, a pair yeah. of Aston Villa baby bibs. I couldn't quite believe it. So, my fear is well, Newcastle will absolutely hammer Villa. I'll get back after the game, I'll walk through the door, and there will be my little one dressed in Aston Villa bibs. Well, I think you've got to be very, very firm here and get your foot down because you're going to establish a whole lifetime ahead of you here. And I think he's got to be strip shirts when he arrives at the house to make certain there's no Aston Villa gear on him. That's the only way that you can get around this one. But uh, because, of course, you're little Harry, it's not a loser. And Villa will be a loser on Saturday. So make certain there's no claret and blue round. I'll have to lay it down at the law once But yes, it, it's it's uh, if you're in neutral, this game I think is really made oh. up for you. You know, Sky have been quite clever picking this one. Uh, it's going to yeah. be a really good one for their viewers. Lots of questions, John, about how Eddie Howe sets up. We, yes. we know the formation. Now, we did test going to three at the back over in America when the two teams played, but Newcastle got found out quite easily. I'm not really sure what he was trying there. He said it was trying to find out a plan B, but it just, it just didn't work. So I think we can pretty much guarantee he'll play the formation that he's always played uh, for the large parts. That'll be the four, the back, the three across the middle, the two wide and one up top. It's yeah. just a question of who he plays in midfield, who he plays out on the left and who he plays up top. And yeah. the question everyone's asking, what we'll do is we'll start with, let's start with up top. Is it Isaac or is it Callum Wilson? Uh, it could absolutely be either in theory because they're both quality centre forwards. One's in the England squad and the other one is the Swedish number nine. Um, and I think we're right to uh, presume that it's going to be a choice of one or the other up top because the way they got both in the side towards the end of our season was Isaac, as we remember, playing wide left. He's not about to do that. Now we've got Anthony Gordon up and running and now we've got Harvey Barnes as a new goal-scoring left-sided up top. So he's not going to play out there, Isaac. So I think it's a choice between the two of them. Um, I would start with Isaac because I think his all-round game is a better game than, um, than Callum. Callum is a traditional English-type centre-forward that was... Alan Shearer, that was Harry Kane, etc., etc. He plays between the posts. He nips balls off people at the back. He is dangerous. He's aggravating, and he can finish. Isaac 
is much more difficult to tie down. He'll drop deep and he'll come from deep, dribbling. He'll he'll go out wide, come back in. He's very difficult to tie down. He's very difficult to man mark. You've got to pass him on because you can't follow him everywhere. Else you're going to get pulled all over the shop and people are going to go into space. Um, And I was... With Steve Watson last night, who you remember was from the uh, entertainer's side and he's now back at the Newcastle Academy uh, as a coach uh, for Eddie Howe. And uh, we had a fascinating conversation and a fascinating evening. And uh, what I love is the fact that we all have different opinions. And his opinion was he would start with Callum Wilson. I would start with Isaac. I'm going to agree with you that it's got to be Alexander Isak for me. Although, if it was Wilson, I'm not disappointed. I do wonder whether Wilson versus Mings might better suit uh, Mings, I think, because of the, it's strength against strength, whereas Isak's got the, the ability to turn and twist and he's got a bit of pace about him, the trickery, whereas Callum Wilson's forte is, is he, he likes to go shoulder to shoulder, doesn't he? And although he has got a bit of pace, I do think he might be better suited to what Mings is going to try and do there. Um, and look, it's just brilliant to have these two options, two proper out-and-out goal scorers, fit yep. and raring to go. But yeah, for me, it's got to be Isaac. On the left-hand side, and this is another reason why I think you we're only talking about Isaac as a potential forward. We're not even considering him to be out on the left flank because it is between Harvey Barnes and Anthony Gordon. You, John, you might say, can Joe Linton or Elliot Anderson come to the conversation? Or are you agreeing with me? It's simply a pick between Barnes and Gordon. I'm totally agreeing with you because when we come to the midfield, I think Joe Linton's got to be one of the first names on the score sheet, on, on the team sheet, because they're really powerful in midfield. Aston Villa power from midfield, it's the basis for all they do going forward. They absolutely destroyed us 3-0 down there when they ran the midfield. They got a 3-3 in the States against us when they led all the time. We were never ahead. Normally, a 3-3 is a seesaw, but we were never ahead. And again, they powered the midfield. So I think we need Joel Linton there. But you've got to look at it the other way as well, uh, Andrew. I mean, if we were talking about Isaac or Joe Linton regularly playing outside left, why did we sign Gordon and Harvey Barnes? Um, because they wouldn't have been necessary. But we, we were wanting to play uh, Isaac or Wilson as a centre-forward and we need Joe in the middle of the park. So I do think it's between Gordon and Harvey Barnes. And I think I think it's a toss-up. You know, I really do. Before the weekend, I thought it was Anthony Gordon because he'd hit the ground running. He'd had a very iffy end of the season, but he'd gone away with England in the 21s, won the Euros, looked very, very sharp, and he was playing a false nine with England, but he looked very, very sharp. His fitness had come pouring back. He cut his pre-season into nothing to keep that fitness going because he wanted to make an impact from the start this season and looked totally the part. And him and Anderson looked the sharpest people, you know, in the build-up to the last weekend, looked the sharpest people in a Newcastle United shirt. It's ironic because you can't do this, but I would love to be able to put the best of the two of them together. I would love to play anti-Gordon in build-up 
in Harvey Barnes' finish. Because Anthony Gordon in build-up is terrific. He's probably got the edge on Barnes. And he is supremely fit and, and sharp and ready to go. If there's anything against him, it's he misses chances. If there's any, and he did that in his last game here at the weekend. If there's anything for Harvey Barnes, he doesn't miss chances. He scores goals. He, he moves inside, checks inside onto his correct foot and finishes. And then, um, you know, that gives him a huge edge in it. The two goals, the, the questions that Eddie Howe will be asking himself with both Harvey Barnes and Tenali is, are they ready? Are they physically ready? In Harvey Barnes' situation, it is just, has he had enough games, etc., etc., because he is well-geared and knows what the Premier League is. With Tenali, it's a bit more difficult because he's coming out of Serie A, which um, can be physical, but it isn't quick. And he's suddenly got to get to the quickness of the Premier League. And is he ready for that on Saturday? That is a bit different to Harvey Bonds. But the Harvey Bonds two goals will will just nudge Eddie to say, hey, don't forget, this guy finishes. And we need to have finishes. So, really, I was totally for it being Gordon. And I'm not so certain, haven't seen the way Bonds finishes. I tell you what, I bet... They'll not get 45 minutes each because the one that starts will get a bit longer. But I bet they both got a good chunk of the match. Yeah, I was all for Anthony Gordon. I thought he did really well on Saturday. He did everything but score. And then you see what Harvey Barnes did on Sunday and kind of just rose to the challenge. If, if it was a case of Anthony Gordon saying, hello, Harvey, this is my spot, then Harvey Barnes bit back and was like, no, 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 it's not. And here's two goals to prove just why. I agree with you. I think heading into this week, and you know, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and we're going to be releasing it on Thursday morning. Heading into it on Monday after those friendlies, Harvey Barnes had the edge because he scored the goals. However, and I've said this on uh season preview episode, I said it on Monday's episode with Aaron, I think if Anthony Gordon has a stormer of a week, which he's more than likely to do, I think he will rise. He will retaliate to what Barnes did in terms of he'll up his performance in training. I wouldn't be surprised to see Anthony Gordon start on, on Saturday. I think Eddie Howe really likes him. He's had a fantastic summer with England. He's carried on that form. He's just lacking the goals. But everything there, everything else is there, John, about his it game. It is. It is. The one, if there's a chink in the armour, and unless you're one of the world's greats, there's a chink in everybody's armour. If there's a chink in his armour, it's he doesn't score enough goals. I think that is true. In Harvey Bonds, it's quite sensational for a wide player. I mean, 13 goals, wasn't it, with Leicester, a team that went down last season? What a return that is. If you can guarantee 13 goals from the left-hand side for Newcastle uh, this season, and, and Miggy can get into double figures again, with the two centre-forwards we've got to choose between, what a potent front three that can be. And, and yet... You know, the incredible thing is long-term, if you don't think of Villa long-term, you've got to think that there's going to be a place somewhere for Gordon and Anthony Bonds. You can see them both being first-team players and how that comes about is going to be absolutely fascinating. And will that put any pressure on Almiran to produce the goods because you could move uh, Gordon over there? Not on Saturday, but in the longer term. Quite fascinating, but there's enough games going to be coming up 
with the four competitions and the fact that we cannot get knocked out of the Champions League at the first game. It's not a sort it's not a, a knockout competition to start with. It's a mini league. So there's going to be a lot of games and we'll they'll all get a crack at it. But it's going to be fascinating what, what goes on Saturday. My choice initially was Gordon. Barnes has just got me fascinated because I love people that score goals when they're in a forward position. And and he does guarantee you as much as anybody that he will score. And and I, I watch Gordon play and he looks like a, a, a silky racehorse. And then he gets into a shooting position. Oh, no, dear me, he doesn't look like that animal anymore. Yeah, he's got to add goals to his game. It's as simple as that. That's the currency you're dealing with yeah. when you're playing yeah. football. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello there, Andrew Musgrove here. I do hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick interruption to point you in the direction of our latest live event. Yes, the award-winning Everything is Black and White podcast is going out in front of a live audience once again. We'll be at the Tyneside Irish Centre on Wednesday, August the 30th, and we really hope you can join us. We've got a fantastic panel. We've got the familiar faces in Lee Ryder, Kieran Kelly and Aaron Stokes. BBC Radio Newcastle's Matthew Raisbeck once again joins us. And alongside those, we've got the Times' Henry Winter. And what a time to be talking about Newcastle United. Because just 24 hours later, the Champions League draw takes place. And then just a few days after that, the transfer window closes. So we'll be talking about all about Newcastle's summer business. And there's been quite a bit of that so far. And of course, the Premier League season will be underway. So we could be talking, potentially, about Newcastle being top of the Premier League. Who knows? It's a dream worth having now to secure your ticket hit the link in the description do it right now there you go click on through and secure your ticket for what will be a fantastic night we are making a donation to two really important northeast charities the sir boy robson foundation and the newcastle fans food bank you're going to help out those what a fantastic couple of causes we hope to see you on wednesday august 30th let's get back to the show in the middle this is the big debate it is so nice sort of be sitting here and, and asking these questions with just a with just a few days to go to the kickoff and asking them and not being worried about why we're asking them. We're asking them because you have players in form and that is a brilliant position to be in. Now people are well aware my choice is Bruno Gumresh, Joe Linton, and Elliot Anderson. John, what are you picking? That was uh, that was my midfield three without a shadow of doubt. Again, the weekend muddied the waters just a tiny bit by the fact that Sean Longstaff started and got 70 minutes out of him. Now, Sean Longstaff is well-loved by Eddie Howe um, and Newcastle, without Sean Longstaff, didn't look half the side towards the end of last season than when he was in the side. Um you know, but of course, there's been the development of Elliot Anderson way beyond what we possibly expected at this stage that has happened since that. But again, you look at you look at what 
Eddie might want to do. And if he go, if he sticks with tried and trusted, he'll go with Longstaff. If he thinks Longstaff can can stiffen Newcastle's underbelly alongside Joe Linton against the power play of Villa, there might be a temptation to do that. I know for I know that if Elliot Anderson doesn't start on Saturday, he will have every reason to be very, very disappointed indeed because he couldn't have done more than he's done pre-season. He's added goals to his game and we've talked about positions that need goal scorers like what uh, Barnes does and what Gordon doesn't do. And he's brought goals to the table. There's no question about that. Uh, so he deserves a chance. Willick's out, as we already as we already know. So it's probably going to be a, a choice between Anderson and Longstaff. You've noticed that we haven't, neither of us put Tonali in there. And I think he is one of the great... Um, uh, Worksmith, one of the great talents of midfield. I'm not certain yet that he's got the pace of the Premier League, the pace of the English game, hasn't picked up on it yet. And he may need the sort of introduction that come to Bruno, that came to Botman, that came to Isaac after Liverpool debut, uh, etc., which is sit and watch it, son, which came to Gordon last season watch it and get up the pace and do the job. He will be a good player. I don't think he's ready. Barnes might well be ready because he knows the Premier League, but I don't think Tenali is. You know, going off right at a tangent, and I don't know if I dare mention this because it's going to make me very unpopular, but I want to see the old Bruno, you know. I want to see the Bruno of the first half of his first season here. He's looked a little off the pace, dare I suggest a little sloppy at times, a little casual at times, by the sky-high standards that he's set. And I have not lost faith in him, and I think he's a terrific player, and you don't get in the Brazilian side quite regularly unless you are. But I want to see that if there's only a 5% drop, he's still beyond most midfielders, but I just want to see him get back to that. There has been just that little sluggishness come into play, almost as if he wasn't quite fit, you know, since he had the troubles at the end of last season and had to play through injuries at the end of last season. He hasn't quite picked up yet to what he was prior to that. I'm not suggesting for one second he shouldn't play on Saturday. Of course he should. He should. His name should be one of the first on the team sheet. But I'll be watching them closely. Let's see the old Bruno Bruno get back to doing what you do well. A lot of people have mentioned that, especially during pre-season, he just hasn't looked himself. And obviously towards the end of last season, he had a he had an excuse. And you do wonder whether that same excuse is 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 the reason he's not quite himself at the moment. How much of Eddie Howe's decision about the midfield three will be made on the basis of who they're actually playing. Now, we know Eddie Howe doesn't just pick a side because they're his best players. He, he often will adapt to what he sees in front of him. And Aston Villa, as you mentioned, back at Villa Park, they outran Newcastle that day. The, the midfield was Joe Linson, Bruno and Joe Willick. And 
Villa just just had a had notice. A Long, Longstaff didn't start in that yeah. one, Andrew, which is why he will be considered this time. In, yeah. in answer to your question, you're absolutely right. How will pick a side because it's Villa? And you know what? Without putting pressure on Eddie, Eddie's decisions, which will be proved right or wrong, not by us talking about them an hour before the game when we see his team sheet, but by what happens on the pitch. Whether he gets it right in midfield or not can decide the, the outcome of this match because that is where they are powerful. And we've got a match that. And that just makes you think, if you need power in there, you get Joe Linton in. Then you look at Aston Villa away and you think, Joe Linton played, but Longstaff didn't. Now, we missed Longstaff. Do we put Longstaff back in there with Joe Linton and with Bruno and say that's our best, that's our most powerful, that the dovetail, they complement each other because of what they've got. And let poor old Elliot feel aggrieved totally and he would have every right to be and bring him on early, but he really deserves a start. But because it's Villa, that's his biggest problem, I think. And I think the midfield selection and it being proved right or wrong, not in our minds, but by what we're seeing an hour and a half, can well decide which way the, the match is actually tipped. Yeah, the battle's in midfield because we can rant and we rave really positively about the players Newcastle have got because they have a fantastic midfield. Eddie Howe's got loads of really good options. You look across at what Villa have got in the middle of the park and they also have some really decent players. I mean, uh, Louise is a fantastic player. John McGinn is one of those workhorses. I think he cost... In fact, Steve Bruce brought him to Aston Villa and Steve Bruce always maintains that that was his best bit of transfer business. So we don't credit Steve Bruce with much on this podcast, but we can credit him with that because he is a tremendous uh, a tremendous player. Yui Tillemans is another one Villa have got. They signed him on a free from Leicester. Yeah, The battle is in midfield and Newcastle United, whoever they pick to play are going to have their work out as a Villa, you know, yep. but from Newcastle's point of view, they're going to have to really be on their A game. And my concern, John, is the amount of space that Villa were afforded that day in Villa Park was worrying. The US friendly change of formation, granted, but there was still a heck of a lot of gaps for Villa to exploit. You have to hope that whatever team he plays, they've tightened up in the middle of the park. Otherwise, Villa, I think, will, will exploit it. And, and one of the reasons that'll happen is Unai Emery. As good as Eddie Howe is, Emery's a good manager as well. Let's get that nailed on right from the start. He was ridiculed a little bit at Arsenal, and it was so totally unfair, and a lot of it was uh, Arsenal fans on uh, social media, you know, the high-pitched voice, the Spanish not too much good English, etc. You're following Wenger, one of the all-time legends, with a statue now at uh, uh, down at the Arsenal ground. It was very, very difficult for him. But he went on to Sevilla and Villarreal and proved what a good, good manager he is. He's gone into that side. You say about Steve Bruce bought in McGinn, etc., etc. He bought in a couple of the fellows of Newcastle. He brought in Mickey Alman, who couldn't hit a bond door when he played under Bushy, but he off-looked the player afterwards, and McGinn's moved up two notches under Emery, and Emery has been class at what he's done. Um, 
The, they're both very similar, him and Howe are both very similar. They both were very nondescript players, run-of-the-mill rank-and-file players that had a playing career and then have become tactically so astute as managers, same age group, 45, Eddie, 51, Emery. Uh, Emery, that, those five, six years Emery's got experience as a manager on on our guy has been served him well. I mean, he's won the uh, Europa League, what, three times with Sevilla. He took Arsenal to the Sammies. He won it again with Villarreal. He is a very... I tell you what, you take Villa to win the Conference League because that's even a standard down in the Europa League. Newcastle would win the Conference League this season, but I'd rather be in the Champions League. But we could have won my first trophy if we'd been in the Conference League. He has been very clever what he's done with the team. And it's going to be a real test. Uh, and midfield's going to be part of it. Because you look back after... I mean, we beat Villa easy up here last season because it was before Emery arrived. When Emery came and we played them down there, we lost five times last season. That was all in the Premier League. and no, But no side took us apart... We lost home and away to Liverpool. We lost at Manchester United. We lost only 2-0 at, at, at Man City. The team that took us apart completely was Villa 3-0 down there. That was the only time we looked a class under the opposition in all 38 Premier League games that we had. And that was an Emory-inspired side from the base in the middle of the park. Now... It doesn't matter what great forward players we have got, and Isaac or Wilson or Gordon or Barnes and Almiron, if we don't establish ourselves in midfield as a platform to set those guys up, then they're half what they should be. And um, by the way, I'm not being negative. I'm just talking about what Newcastle have got to face because I think we'll do terrific on Saturday. And I think Eddie Howe will do terrific in having a, 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 a go at making certain Emery doesn't get the advantage over us. But that's what makes it fascinating. We've got two historic clubs, two terrific managers and um, quality players. You look at what's happened in the summer and say, who's done the best in the summer? So far, we've all made three signings. We've got Tenali, Harvey Barnes and Lieberamento. Maybe that none of those three start. Maybe that none of our three signings uh, actually start. They'll be on the uh, on the bench, of course. They've got Musa Diaby, who we know, Telemans, who played in uh, midfield when Barnes was playing, and this Pau Torres, who is from Villarreal, is um, and he played with Emery at Villarreal. Everybody in Spain was amazed that Villa got him because they rate him that high. And how about this? He's a centre-half who has pre-season, because of an injury, been playing for Villa at left-back. Now, do we know any centre-half who's been playing at left-back recently? I think that's uh, our man Dan Byrne, isn't it? Uh, and this Torres is everybody's saying in Spain, I tell you what, that's a steal. They've got a quality player there. So... It's going to be good. It's going to be feisty. Uh, it's going to have a terrific atmosphere. And, yeah, we, we're ready to be challenged. We want to be challenged. As long as when we are challenged, we are the winners.
Yeah, 100%. And you know that the way you improve is, is by plotting yourself against the, the very yeah. best. You mentioned there Dan Byrne. That leads on to the other questionable Correct. Uh, position, left back. Will it be Matt Target against his old club or will it be Dan Byrne? We've seen a heck of a lot of Matt Target this preseason. He's split opinion. Some don't feel he's good enough. Some feel he hasn't performed all that well during the summer. Really interesting, Eddie Howe has given him minutes to kind of, I think, fight his, fight his case, basically. I I think it will be Dan Byrne. I, yeah, I can't see it being any other than Dan Byrne. I, I think, I think it's, I think, I do think it's a close thing. I don't think it's a guaranteed cert that Eddie Howe has already picked Dan Byrne, but I do think he'll end up going Dan Byrne from the start against Villa. Yeah, so do I. I don't think it matters that it's against Villa, Target's old club, because I, I don't think Eddie Howe ever walks down the sentimental side of the street. No, he doesn't care. I don't think he ever contemplates anything like that, so that will not come into it. Um, I mean, the first thing you say, and I know there was an injury involved last season, but Target's a natural left-back who was available all last season, and Byrne played left-back for two-thirds of the season. Um, Target's did, done okay since he came to Newcastle. He's not one of the greatest signings we've made in this era, and that is very difficult to be when you think of all the sorts of the players that we have brought in. It is difficult. But I think that Eddie, by nature, sticks with the tried and trusted until they let him down or they let themselves down, and then he'll try plan B. I think he will go with Ben. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think my target he gives himself a good account this week. There's, there's, there's a chance that he could he could persuade Eddie Howe to, to go with him instead of Dan Byrne, but it's going to be a tough test for him. I can't see them bringing in another left-back now. I know a lot of people feel like it should still happen, but I think I think they'll, they'll look elsewhere. I think a, a, a youngish centre-back is probably next on the agenda. And then maybe in January or the summer, next summer, they look to, to add another left-back. But yeah, I think I think it'll be Dan Byrne. We are going to have to hear from anyhow on Friday morning about the fitness of Fabian Cher, who missed the weekend, missed the Seller Cup through injury. Eddie Howe did say that Cher was near no return to training, but then you have to question, I guess, how far he's been knocked back because of the injuries picked up. Can he just go into training this week and be ready to start? Because you've got the likes of Ollie Watkins who will run rings around you if you're not fully switched on. For you, John, is that all he needs? A week's worth of training and you'd start Fabian Cher? Or do you, even if he gets through the next five days or so, do you say, yeah, you go on the bench, son, and we'll play... Jamal LaSalle, for example. No, I, I think he'll play Shaw if he's looked each day to be fine. Um, you know, he's had injuries before and then come back straight into the side. What that injury did do, Andrew, was show how much we need a right-sided centre-half. Because, you know, with due respect to LaSalle, who's been a very good club servant, he, and we talk about... Um, is Harvey Barnes an upgrade on Maxi? Yes, he is. Well, you know, Lascelles is not an upgrade on anybody that's in the starting lineup when everybody's fit. So that would be a problem. That the fact that we're here talking about the one position 
outside of Bab's goal where we don't want um, somebody to get injured, is that, and it is why Newcastle's next target will be a right-sided centre-half because Shaw's injury has proved that we are vulnerable in that position. Uh, I think he will start him. And um, yes, of course you worry because Ollie Watkins ran all over us in the 3-0 down there. Backed by the platform of that midfield, Watkins ran all over us. There's no, he was in a huge purple patch on goals at that time. And he, he dried up a little bit towards the end of that season afterwards. But uh, yeah, we need Shaw to be in there without the shadow of doubt. Just going back actually to the left-back situation, you, you mentioned before Musa Derby's now an Aston Villa player, so he'll play out on the right, so therefore it is Dan Byrne on my target who's going to have to keep him quiet. Again, on paper, you know, you, you would think opposition teams will would target Byrne. They would say to the pace you winger, go at him. But Byrne proved last season that he can handle a bit of pace about him. You look at um, what the chat did. Yes, I, I sorry to interrupt. Well, I think he, I think he can't handle pace, but he but he's clever. He's clever yes. at handling pace. And Newcastle took in players around him. They're clever tactically, Newcastle as well. They leave. They don't leave him on his own. They double up. There's if if the winger gets past, and this included Saka, who's probably as good as you can get in the uh, in the Premier League last season when he was on Blob. Um, they're very clever. Uh, he's a shrewd player, Byrne. Uh, if exposed, he'll not catch him on the way back, never mind on when they're making the first one. Um, but they don't. he doesn't leave himself exposed too often. And when he does, there's always somebody behind him or, or, the, or somebody's dropped back yeah, or um, Longstaff's come across. Uh, so there's there's always cover there. And that's how we've got away with that situation. In an ideal world, I would like us to buy a left-back as well as a centre-half before September the 1st. Um, and that is something that has to be addressed by this club. Because if we're talking about winning a, a trophy, which would be a domestic one, and let me get this right as well. I've heard some Newcastle fans, some of them are not apprehensive, but realistic is a better word, you know, about what we can achieve this season. And then others saying, let's go out and try to win the Champions League and let's go out and try to do that. I mean, we have got to be realistic about this. It is unfair on anyhow and the players, etc., etc., to think we're going to win one of the domestic cups we're going to win the Champions League or get to the semi-final and uh, we're going to be in the top four automatically again. It is not as simple as that. And it's it's more difficult with the squad we've got that's playing catch-up. And by the way, the, the, if you think how long it took Manchester City to win the Champions League and they've had a terrific squad and they've won about five of the last six uh, Premier League titles... So, you know, some of the things I've heard some of the fans say, I love the optimism. I love that we ought to be uh, progressive and, and, and not afraid. But I also think that we've got to keep a sense of proportion here. You know, it's like automatically this season, we're definitely going to win a, 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 some silverware. And it, it may well be the Champions League. Now, come on. Give, give the team and give Eddie a realistic chance. Don't sort of go into the season with that thought and be disappointed when when we finish fourth and, and, and 
you know, we get out the group stage, but we don't go too much further. It's 20 years we've waited for this. Let's keep a sense of proportion while being optimistic and while believing that things can happen. Don't get yourself in a situation where we're going to get in the right tizzy and say, that, well, this has been hugely disappointing. We've just reached the knockout stages of the Champions League. We've got to the semi-final of one of the domestic cups and we've finished fifth. You know, what a disastrous season that's been. Don't, don't do that because the club deserve a lot more than that. And they've made a word for their own back by coming so far so quickly. But... Um, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a terrific season. And you know what? We won't let ourselves down. But let's keep our uh, ankles tied firmly to the bedpost. Yeah. By all means, be optimistic, but keep grounded, I think, is the message. Uh, I mean, just on the, the left back, you're, you're not too concerned then about Moussa Diaby taking on Dan Byrne? Well, I was concerned about Saka taking on Dan Byrne. I was concerned about several... Uh, if, if the wing wing is towards the end of last season. And yes, he got skinned on a couple of occasions, but he handled it brilliantly well, and so did the rest of the defence. Um, so, no, I'm not going to lose a sleepless night because of it, and no, am I going to say automatically we must put Target in, because Target's not the quickest, you know. Target isn't lightningly quick. We haven't got a lightning-quick defender, and, and that's where we, you know what? I'm more concerned not about an individual in the back four, i.e., a left back that isn't a left back, taking on the obvious, some good player. I'm concerned that when I was saying let's get Bruno back to his 110%, I'm concerned that our back four and keeper start keeping clean sheets again. Because this year, this calendar year, 2023, we couldn't buy a clean sheet. Up to Christmas, we were, I think we might add six on the trot at one stage. Um, so, you know, if we always let in a goal, and we seem to in 2023, it means we always go score two to win. And, and, and that's harder. So let's get back to clean sheets. Yeah, fingers crossed they can do that. And also just on, um, we're talking about the second half of the season, I'm going to have to make an apology to Miguel Almiron because... In our Let's Talk About episode where we focused on Amiru and I said he didn't score any goals in 2023. Yes, I remember. I was surprised that you're saying yeah, that. I'm, look, I'm, I'm sleep deprived. Uh, I tried to look at the numbers. I got the, I got the, the I got the, the month and the, the day of the month mixed round. So I read 12 and, I, and for whatever reason thought that meant December. So I hold my hands up. I'm sorry, Miggy. And you know what, John? I think that's such a bad mistake. I'm going to have to tender my resignation uh, well, to the I mean, fan club. For for the chairman of the fan club not to realise that he's scored a couple of goals at least during this year. Uh, I mean, I mean to be fair, it was only two goals, so kind of the point still kind of stood. We need to see more from Almiron. Every oh, goal, or oh, the point stands, yes, but every goal Almiron scored last season was dreadfully important to him because he scored only one the whole season before that. So I thought you would have all all eleven of his goals tattooed down your left arm. With the dates that were scored and uh, how we scored them, and and there we go. But I, I think you, know, you sort of were really in a perverse way bullying them up from to go 
bananas between now and Christmas this year. And by the way, you did get carried away eventually because I must remind you that you said he would score 20 goals this season because I threatened the full Monty in Northumberland Street as a consequence, if you remember. But I you remember. Know. I'm still sticking I'm sticking by that. You watch 20 goals a season from the I tell you what, every game that goes by, when we do the preview of the next one, I'll be reminding you of the 20 goals and saying, well, that's now 30 matches he's got left and he still needs uh, 19 goals. Keep the faith. As you would say, John, keep the faith. But yeah, the rest of the team kind of picks itself. It does. Nick Pro, Botman, Trippier, Almiron, Bruno... And then, obviously, we've discussed too, who else is going to fill in the gaps. Just how excited, John, are you to be back at St. James's Park for a competitive game of football? War flags at night. Well, depending on the, on the weather, it, the lights might be on if it starts chucking it down again. But, uh, yeah. yeah, just to be back at the Cathedral it, on the Hill. It's wonderful. I mean, you know, it. Uh... It's only something like eight weeks or something in the end of last season, but every day it seemed to have 48 hours in it instead of 24 because last season was so exciting, so wonderful that you want more of that. And now we're about to start off with more than that. And I mean, and if we managed to get off to a flyer, what would that mean? I just had a look at it the other day. Our first three games in the Premier League is Aston Villa at home, Manchester City away, and Liverpool at home. Now, do you realise that we only lost five games last season, which was phenomenal. Nobody did better. But four of those five defeats came against those opening three teams. We lost 3-0 to Aston Villa, albeit down there, not up here. We lost 2-0 at Manchester City, and Liverpool beat the home and away. So four of our five defeats, the other one being Manchester United, four of our five defeats were against the the three teams we start the season against. That is the sort of tough season it is. But I'll tell you something, both Aston Villa and Man City and Liverpool will be apprehensive about playing Newcastle United early in the season. If we are apprehensive about playing them, so will they. They could do without us. And um, that's the new world we're living in. Instead of me worrying whether we will accompany Luton Town into the into the championship at the end of the season, um, working out how far we'll have gotten the Champions League, which of the domestic cups we'll have won, and if we're fourth again in the Premier League. Fabulous, isn't it? That's how exciting this is with a few days to go to the start. That epitomises exactly where Newcastle United are now and where they ought to have been for years and haven't got anywhere near been since um, since the days of Kevin Keegan followed by Bobby Robson because that fifth finish under Pardew was an absolute fluke. The season before and the season afterwards was absolutely hopeless and we're back to normal. That was a fluke, so I don't include that in as being genuine, uh, sadly. Uh, the players did terrific, but it, it was a, a one-off fluke. Uh, this isn't a fluke, and um, Keegan and Robson weren't flukes. Yeah, couldn't have put it better myself. And w- another reason why the likes of Villa will be worried about, you know, worried about facing Newcastle will be because of the the atmosphere the fans uh, create, yeah. and it all rolls into into a fierce 
opposition at Newcastle United are these days. Are you ready, John, for your first? What well, don't yes. do score predictions, result predictions. Correct, correct. I think that you know you've hit the nail on the head to a great extent. Then two teams where there's only the thickness of a page in a book between the two teams. Uh, they're both that good. I think the crowd that you've just mentioned with war flags, 52,000, Jordy's going crackers, loving the team. The crowd can just tip it in our favour um, because the matter and because you must feel like you can commute if you're with Villa or the team visit Newcastle standing telling the waters to part and to go back to the tide because that's what is created by this bare pit of a ground that St James's Park now is. And uh, first prediction, I think Newcastle will win. I think it'll be very, very tough. I think at times the nails will be bitten. At times we'll be a bit anxious. Uh, we'll have to go down and lie in a darkened room at half time so we'll get our strength back up for the second half. But I'm um, taking Newcastle to win by a single goal margin, just by a single goal margin, whether that's 1 0 2 1. Uh, but Newcastle to win and get us off to a good start. And that will give us so much faith because we'll know we've played one of the quality sides in the Premier League and that will give us so much faith in going forward. I'm going to go for a draw. I think it's going to be a very entertaining draw. Don't see Newcastle winning, You're a depressing little so-and-so going for a draw on the opening day after we've pulled up the season as much as the pair we had and say how we've looked forward to it. Don't rain on me parade or even drizzle. You don't rain on me parade unless we lose. But it's a bit of drizzle in a draw. Uh, I could easily follow the example of a draw in theory because Villa are that good. But we're at home. And we've got 50,000 fans behind us and they've got 2,000 behind them. And we're even Stevens the sort of side. That tips it in our favour for me. Uh, so I, I'm also looking... The first day is a, is a trend setter. And I want the trend to be set for the season. That this is a difficult place to come. You don't come and get it all, you come and get beat. So I'm going for Newcastle. Very, very narrow. And as I said, biting the fingernails and lying in a dark room at half time. Well, I hope you are correct. And I hope Newcastle do indeed beat Aston Villa on the opening day of the season. We will be there bringing you live coverage through our live blog on chroniclelive.co.uk. You can catch Eddie Howe's press conference on Friday morning along on our website as well. Please leave a rating and a review on our podcast channel. We really do appreciate the support. And for myself and John Gibson, we'll be back next week for the second match preview of the new Premier League season. Cheers. <laughs>